Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, and I'm here with my friend, Dr. Susanna Greer. Hey, Susanna. Hey, Joe. My immunologist friend, Dr. Greer, who's, I guess now you're an expert in community-based participatory research. Is that right? Absolutely. Big time. Yeah. PhD. And maybe suitably, since it's community-based work we're talking about today, it was kind of a tag team on the podcast. You spoke with two people, Dr. Cheryl Knott and Nate Woodard. Dr. Knott is professor in the Department of Behavioral and Community Health at the University of Maryland School of Public Health. And Nate is a doctoral student and graduate research assistant in the Knott Lab. Susanna, what did you learn today? Cheryl and Nate shared such a cool story about some just really innovative work that they have done with African-American churches around sharing best health practices in cancer, around cancer prevention, cancer screening. They, they take us through this fantastic model um, where they are, are truly just leading experts in establishing a program where they train health advisors who take the lead in disseminating health information um, and information around cancer. And Cheryl and Nate and their team provide support and technical assistance. But, oh my gosh, Joe, what they are really doing is empowering faith-based communities to take control of their health. I love it. I, I loved everything about it. And we got into a really interesting conversation about what are the biggest challenges they face, both pre COVID-19 pandemic and um, during, which is where we sit today, and then what may come out of this. So just two things I want to share. And the first is that obviously there are some things about their platform that have had to change because they involve a lot of face-to-face -face workshops. So um, that's a challenge and a struggle. How do you work around that? But there's some really positives that have come out of what they are doing that Nate shares with us, which is they do have a virtual platform and they've been able to use that in some really interesting ways to disseminate information around cancer and also around how to handle this pandemic. And then the post, which is where we will be at some point, we are not alone. We are not alone during this pandemic. We are not alone as we struggle through cancer and um, just the evergreen message of what they do um, is that cancer is a struggle but we can struggle together. So I think you are, are going to love what you hear from Cheryl and Nate. Good morning, Cheryl and Nate. How are you? Good morning. Great. How about yourself? I'm hanging in there. Nate, you doing well? I am. Thank you very much. Yes. Well, we are really, really excited to talk to you. And these are complicated times for sure. So thank you for taking some time with us. Cheryl, I think I want to start with you. You you have a really impressive track record um, around looking for strategies to get health information to individuals who are most in need of that. I, I do want to for us to talk a little bit about how the pandemic is impacting your work, but I really want to highlight the amazing things that you do. So uh, let's start with the Community Health Awareness Messaging and Prevention Program, um, which is called CHAMP, which awesome name, by the way. So tell us about CHAMP. What is that? Sure. CHAMP is our research lab or our research group uh, at the University of Maryland School of Public Health. And it's a 
whatever research projects that we're working on at a time. We have a, a strong focus on cancer control and cancer disparities. We also do some social epidemiological research around the area of cancer control uh, behaviors. And, uh, you know, myself, our staff, our fantastic graduate students, and uh, we're uh, doing research but also applying community engagement to uh, serve our local communities while uh, increasing awareness and knowledge and screening around cancer. Oh, wonderful. So, Nate, tell me a little bit about your perspective. Why do you think we need the CHAMP program? Sure. So, um, I think as people, we sometimes, we, we wait until something's wrong before we act. But focusing on prevention can really save a lot of resources and uh, in many cases save a lot of suffering, particularly as we think about cancer and um, cancer treatment and that sort of thing. We really try to focus particularly on prevention and early detection of cancer for that reason, um, to try and limit the, the cost of those resources and suffering as much as possible, um, but also putting a lot of effort and emphasis on uh, meeting communities where they are, so crafting messaging and programs specific to them with regard to, to topics that they've expressed interest in. Oh, I really love that. And I love what you said about the fact that you in the CHAMP program put a lot of effort into meeting communities where they are. So let's talk a little bit specifically about communities of faith. Talk us through the significant role that communities of faith play. We know that they are places where we go to have fellowship with each other. Um, they're also a trusted source of information um, that we can share. So help us to understand um, roles, particularly I'm interested in your work in the African-American church and cancer health promotion. Right, and so you mentioned uh, faith communities being trusted within the community. And um, from, from our experience, that certainly extends into health information as well. So not just trusted in terms of spiritual or, or faith-related uh, concepts. But of course, every church is different. Regardless, we've seen pretty consistently cancer as something that uh, members of the churches have had to deal with and that the churches have, for that reason, expressed interest in. And so we've seen them offer, for that reason, a variety of cancer programming, including information. Many are having health fairs with different types of health information and materials, but in some cases they're including cancer screenings as part of that, um, cancer support groups, presentations and workshops, which, which align very closely with what we do um, through our project and what we have offered to the churches. But even beyond that, they've gone into different types of health promotion that can decrease cancer risk. So things like exercise and healthy eating, information on um, sunlight exposure and tobacco use. And of course, this is all important when we think about reaching individuals and, and again, kind of meeting them where they are. These institutions, these faith-based organizations and churches have the, an opportunity to reach individuals in ways that health practitioners may not be able to. Okay, that's really interesting. You're right. These faith-based organizations, they already have, I mean, I, I love the list you just gave of all the things that they're offering around health fairs and screenings so that they really already have significant alignment with your goals 
um, promoting exercise and healthy eating. I mean, all of these things are, are really important in the cancer space. I'm interested, Cheryl, to understand how you've, in a really nice way, I guess an organic way, you have developed a strategy to work with um, churches that already are having a significant impact in the health space, but you've worked with them to conduct evidence-based educational workshops. Can you tell us a little bit about these workshops? Maybe what are they like? Sure, sure. One thing I'll add about the church as well is that it's a social network. And so it's a group of people who can support each other. And so I'll, I'll transition into the, the uh, workshop piece here. We train lay individuals in the churches to serve as community health advisors. And so these are regular folks you know, who are in the church. They don't necessarily have a health background or specific health training. But they go through a 13-module training and certification process so that they can become and play the role of the community health advisor in the church. This is the person that people trust and can go to for cancer information uh, and oftentimes expanding to additional health topics because of the capacity building approach that we take. And so the community health advisors are trained in this and certified in in this method, uh, which is evidence-based that we have used, and they conduct a series of cancer educational workshops Importantly, it's not just a one-time workshop where we thought that it was important to repeat the message several times. The workshops are all a little different. You know, the first one in the series is kind of a Cancer 101, an introduction, laying the groundwork, then we get more specifically into breast and prostate, and then into colorectal cancer. So they build on each other. There is some overlap, um, and we focus it like a series. It's a group educational workshop. It's open to anybody in the church. We do enroll people in the trial who are um, age eligible for screening largely or who, um, uh, who will you know, complete the study surveys for the evaluation. But we turn it over. We let the community health advisor take the lead. It's important for them to take the lead on giving the presentations because they are the trusted people in the church rather than us going in and giving a talk as strangers. So they, they give the presentations. We are there in the background to support them, provide technical assistance, Uh, field any questions that are beyond uh, what their training has provided. And so these these group educational workshops take place, uh, are integrated into the church calendar, and uh, and they have have, uh, had some pretty good impact data in terms of increasing knowledge and screening as well. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and maybe we can move into that because, well, first of all, I love this. This just seems so empowering for individuals and for communities to survey where are the challenges, where are the deficiencies in our understanding about um, different cancers, uh, the preventative measures that we could take, and then really take charge of that situation and share uh, among trusted friends strategies. So what a great program. Maybe you could, Cheryl, I'd I'd love for you to share with us a little bit of the data you have you know, what have you accomplished? Maybe what are participants leaving with? Sure, sure. We For each project that we do, and the current project that is supported by American Cancer Society is, is one that builds on a history of efficacy and now implementation trials that we're conducting. And so the early efficacy trials were showing that uh, for breast, prostate, and colorectal cancer, the participants in the workshop experienced significant knowledge gains over time. 
So we, we give them an initial survey to see what they knew coming in. We survey them at 12 and or 24 months later, for example, to see did they learn anything over that period from the workshops? Uh, did they retain it over a 24-month period? We also ask them about their screening-related behaviors. Did they go out and get a mammogram or a colonoscopy and so forth? And so we did find significant increases in most of our screening outcomes as well over time. And then anecdotally, we find that you know, people are enjoying the workshops. They do include a spiritual theme to them, which resonates very well in the church setting, of course. And, uh, and folks uh, were highly likely to not only attend the workshop, but to share that, take that information home and share it with others as well, which is kind of a ripple effect with, with greater impact. I guess now this comes full circle. And I think this is a place where, where you can maybe help help us as we're thinking about how do we change our behaviors during this pandemic? Are there, so I'm just thinking about the, the challenges that we now face <laughs> in a, exactly what you laid out, a workshop situation where people are enjoying coming together. They like that. They want to show up for this kind of face-to-face -face training and participation, but we can't do that right now, not exactly like that, but we want your program and programs like yours to continue. So maybe you could share with us a little bit about virtual training. So do you think that you can successfully move to another platform that's virtual, but will still give participants that feeling of being together and enjoying the community and the fellowship and then having all those great learning outcomes? Sure, that's an excellent and timely question. I would say that for the community health advisor training, we have already done some online training. We've tested online training versus classroom training for implementation outcomes, if you will, having already established the evidence base for the content. We wanted to see whether we could use an online system to train the community health advisors uh, and certify them and we found that we could implement it, and it did result in the in outcomes uh, comparable to in-person trained community health advisors. So that has implications for resource. It has implications for scale-up and scalability of the intervention. But the workshops are another matter. So like I had said before, the church is a social network, and that means bringing people together socially in a, in a group setting. We have not done any virtual cancer workshops uh, really in, in the context of the CHAMP lab. And uh, right now there is a good bit of, of COVID-related disruption, certainly. And uh, what we have done around that is uh, to identify some information, some evidence-based information, trusted source information that we have been able to disseminate to our community health advisors about COVID. But you're right, for bringing people together in that individual setting right now is very challenging. The other thing we found just that I'll add is right now we're using a hybrid approach for the training where we start them off in person. That gives them off an opportunity to start off as a group together to get trained, for us to build rapport and trust with the community health, health advisors. And that's something that unfortunately is much more difficult to achieve in an online or virtual platform. So it seems like you're in a space that many of us are in, which is figuring it out, figuring out the pieces that we can retain um, and 
still have impact and efficacy and the things that we'll have to lose or or change our ways of doing them. Um, and I think that's just a place where we're all going to have to be flexible, but realize that these are really important opportunities um, like yours that we want to continue. Um, I guess, Nate, I have a question for you around your movement, because at least to me, you guys have accomplished kind of step one, where you've moved your um, training to for your health advisors to a virtual platform and have, have seen that that, that worked. And then you're, you're thinking about how might you make changes to the workshop program. So just stepping back to that virtual training of health advisors, I'd love to know if there's any good news here. Is there, I mean, things change, but is there something that you gain in a virtual setting that we maybe can't do one-on-one -on -one quite as well? Right. So I think that's a very excellent question and, and ties in very well with uh, what Dr. Knott was, was speaking on in, in the last little bit there. Um, of course, we, we do lose some things. So, for example, uh, we find it much easier to develop a sense of trust and, and deeper connections with the communities we're working with in person. But, um, and there's obviously great value to that, but we, we do find a lot of value in the virtual platform as well. So we, we are working with a pretty large group of churches. So working very closely with close to 20 churches over the course of this project in particular. And we also try to be responsive to additional requests coming from um, other churches as well who may not be formally enrolled in the project. Um, Respond, uh, requests for information or assistance at health fairs, that sort of thing. In order to manage all of that, we have a relatively small team. We only have three paid staff members at the University of Maryland College Park. And so this virtual piece becomes very critical and important for us as far as making frequent contact so we're able to stay in touch and um, also convenient contact is just not feasible for us to physically be present at um, every church all the time, clearly. That's really where, going back to the point that Dr. Knott made about kind of scale up and scalability and the ability to reach more people and, and really help as many people as possible, which of course is, is always our goal, this, this virtual piece becomes very critical in that. Yeah, that, it's something I actually hadn't thought about. I love that. that in this time where we're all really worried about a virus that's spreading, you've been able to, in some ways, take advantage of another type of spread, and that's information spread, where you're right. If you, there's so much to be gained by one-on-one -on -one interactions, but you so nicely said, I mean, you have a, a small team, and there's only so many of you and so many churches that you can go to and interact with in person but when you move that to a virtual setting it really increases in some ways your opportunity to disseminate this really critical information to lots more churches and therefore to lots more individuals so maybe at the end of the day when things have returned to a new normal you may have a, a, a different kind of merged platform that you use where you keep some of the good that came from the virtual setting and opportunities for higher impact and then also the good that as you said comes from that one-on-one -on -one interaction and, and trust relationship. Any thoughts on that Nate? 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's something that we've been talking a lot about as far as incorporating that further and in, in reaching more people, right? So um, something that we're continuing to think on and continuing to try and explore as, as we go along. If I could add to what Nate just said, the challenge of scale-up and scalability is a very hot issue in implementation science right now. It's also something that we've been thinking about for quite some time. So we have an evidence-based training program and series of workshops that we know is effective for, for training and certifying lay people to share cancer early detection and wellness information. It results in increased cancer knowledge and screening behaviors. For me, as an as a interventionist, intervention developer, I am very interested in seeing the ability for that intervention to reach any church in the U.S. or maybe even the world that might be interested or could benefit from it. However, as Nate indicated, the challenge there is with each of these churches, and it may not sound like a lot of churches, but when you have to go in and build the relationship with each one, as our community partners have very painstakingly done, it's a tremendous investment of time. And so that time, you know, it's the technology has outpaced our ability to figure out how to scale this thing up is basically the challenge. And uh, we continue to think about it. I continue to hope that one day it will become a reality. Um, we are very interested in wide dissemination of evidence-based programming to community settings. And so it, it is something we continue to think about. I guess I have a question. Maybe, maybe Nate, I'll ask you and I'll ask you, Cheryl, to follow up. Um, so full circle, the, a goal of your program is to increase cancer screenings. So have you changed your messaging right now? Like, let's say it's, it's time for my mammogram. Well, I don't need to go in for a mammogram in the middle of a pandemic. So are you able to adjust your recommendations um, to fit the times? So what balance, I guess, are you trying to help participants reach? right now when we think about um, the best things to do for our health? Right, that's a, that's a very good question. So as far as our work with the churches and our work in uh, cancer education and uh, promotion of cancer screening, those of course, as you have mentioned, are things very central to the project that we, we do tend to focus on, um, but they're not the only things that we focus on, certainly. So we are interested in in health within the communities and health concerns presented by the community as well. And of course, at this moment, one of those main concerns is uh, the COVID-19 coronavirus and um, how, how should the church respond to that? How is the church going to respond to that? And so we're, we're trying our best to be responsive to those concerns and kind of where the priorities lie, given this uh, very challenging and, and kind of hectic in a lot of ways time. The in-person presentations that we have for the project are, are currently on pause, and we have sent our churches recommendations from the CDC specific to faith-based organizations and how they should respond to coronavirus uh, during these times, as well as continuing to just try and stay in touch and um, hear from the churches and, and the representatives about what they're doing and what we can do, if anything, for them as well, because cancer and 
the the culture and what these churches are focusing on it doesn't exist in a vacuum right so we we want to be responsive to the shifting priorities and all of the craziness that's going on right now to say the least sure i'll add to that uh as a person who just rescheduled her mammogram that was due this week <laughs> uh, this is a timely issue and the healthcare system has is, is got a lot of burden on it right now and people are likely to be rescheduling uh, procedures or screenings in particular that are not necessarily the most urgent thing right now just as Nate had indicated and so we need to be aware that at any given time the communities that we work with particularly those that are suffering from poverty or other um, cancer-related social determinants of health that are impacting them. They have day-to-day concerns. Children are home from school. A lot of disruption right now. But even just in a regular environment without you know, pre-COVID environment, there's a lot of competing concerns. And this is something that in public health I think we really struggle with is, okay, you're going to tell me that I need to go for my colonoscopy. I need to take a day off of work. I need a driver. I need prep. I need a copay if I even have insurance. And so there is no very satisfying answer you know, to these, these very real questions. We do the best we can, like Nate had said, meeting people where they are and trying to be responsive, not only to the cancer health needs of our community, because that is our primary focus, but also to the whole health needs of the community. Being embedded in a school of public health and a land-grant institution, our mission is to serve the community. And so I really view the CHAMP Lab as, as a resource for community to, to draw on when they have health questions, have health concerns. We may not have the right answer on a diabetes or a glaucoma question you know, in, in my lab, but guess what? We know people who do, and so we, we just have to do the best we can. Oh, I think you guys are doing a whole lot better than the best you can. Cheryl, I have I have another question for you, and that's just kind of where do we go from here? So you you are a a leading expert in helping us to um, understand the importance of these social networks and supporting community health. Um, do you have some advice that you'd like to share for your colleagues who are implementing community-based uh, cancer education and control activities? Sure, sure. Like like many others in in our field, my attention in recent years has has uh, been drawn to the field of implementation science. And having observed for many years the efficacy trial after efficacy trial that has been conducted and, and has a great intervention that can help people, we do in public health we do a much uh, poorer job of getting those evidence based interventions out. Uh, across the translational pipeline to reach people and have a, a broader population level impact. So these are big questions. They're hard questions. But the field of implementation science has been booming in recent years, in the past five or ten years in particular. And so that is an area I, I see a lot of interest in developing investigators in getting involved in uh, implementation science. And I think it's, it's a very exciting time and could be really where a very, very strong impact uh, could be had in terms of public health and population level impact. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'm reminded every day of how we have so much information at our fingertips. We know now more than ever 
about how to prevent cancer and how to screen for cancer. Um, but what a challenge in getting that information to all the people who need it. So I'm with you. I think this is an exciting time, and I think the potential that we have for impact is um, enormous. So um, best of luck to you and your colleagues. And I think, Nate, maybe I'll give you the last question. Um, many of our listeners are cancer patients and folks who love them. So is there a message that you would like to share to those listeners in particular? I think one thing that we emphasize in our work is to write down your questions before you go to the doctor, um, be that you as, as a patient or uh, you as a caregiver of, of a patient, to write down those questions so that you have them ready when, when you go in um, and so you're not forgetting. Or if they're short on time, then, then you'll have a list that they can refer back to and you can refer back to. Uh, I think that could be very helpful. I think another thing would be willing to advocate for yourself or for the patient that you're a caregiver of. And so if there's something that you don't understand or um, something that doesn't seem quite right, being willing to ask follow-up questions, even if they're maybe difficult questions sometimes, or um, willing to seek a second opinion if something just doesn't, really doesn't feel right. Um, and I think the last thing that I might say is to try to remember that you're, you're not alone in your experience and that there are opportunities for engagement with different communities um, and support groups for people going through a similar situation. In addition to what's local and available to you right around where you are, uh, American Cancer Society does have web pages dedicated to resources to support groups for not just cancer patients but also for the caregivers as well and you don't necessarily have to feel obligated to to share your story or to share your experience but in some cases in some cases it can be helpful just to hear someone else's story and hear what they're going through um, and so you, you may find some benefit in that and I think um, those are a few things that I would, I would hope people take away. Thank you, Nate. Cheryl, anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think uh, Nate's spot on in, uh, in the recommendation and, and, and having patients be their own advocates. We have seen many times that people view the doctor as the expert and are not likely to question what the doctor says or a recommendation. We know that not all uh, clinical experiences include a recommendation of guideline concordant screening behaviors, and so we're trying to educate and empower people to know when you turn a particular age, is there a screening that you should consider? If your doctor hasn't talked to you about it already, bring it up with them. If you're not happy with your provider, it's okay to change providers or get a second opinion. I think people, particularly in, in a more uh, mature generation, uh, had had the propensity not to question the doctor, but we really try to teach people to be their own advocates, to, to make sure that they advocate for themselves in a healthcare setting, because it, it ultimately it is their responsibility and their health. As I sit here in my home office, which is strange in the middle of a work day, um, it's resonated me that um, I'm very much alone, but have really enjoyed 
this conversation with you. So we're all alone, um, the three of us, but we are very much alone together. And I think one thing to take away from everything you have said is that that is very much the way we face cancer. We are alone, but we are we are very much together and so supported um, by wonderful institutions and um, wonderful folks. And you are two of them. And we're grateful for all you do. So thank you and stay well. Thank you. You yes, too. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much.